0: relevant content for our members by our members. This is TMC Connect. Good afternoon, everyone. Rich Swarinski with the Mortgage Collaborative here once again with the last week in Mortgage Today, our weekly walk through all the latest and greatest with regards to the mortgage industry. Uh, Each week, I'm pleased to be joined by one of our lender members as my co-host. And this week, I think your fourth stint in the co-host slot Fellow Clevelander, fellow Cleveland Browns fan, president of Nationwide Mortgage Bankers, my good friend, Jody Hall. Mm -hmm. Jody, thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. I feel like there's less turmoil in the market uh, for this last weekend mortgages as there was the previous two. I think this might be the third. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah, it seems like whenever you're in the co-host slot, like some major chaotic news breaks like the day before. But uh, I don't know, maybe keep an eye on the news scroll as we go through the program here. So <laughs>
1: Topics may change.
0: <laughs> yeah. As always, any questions, comments, thoughts, uh, anything that any of our attendees want to incorporate into the program, don't be shy about pumping it into the chat or the Q&A, and we'll incorporate it into the show. So, uh, Jody, as much as I'd like to start with the Cleveland Browns, we'll, we'll keep it to the mortgage industry. Um, how can we not start with, uh, you know, the latest from FHFA and the latest in what has been a really aggressive series of announcements, releases, proposals uh, by the Biden administration through FHFA, uh, CFPB, HUD, Um, the latest being a proposal out there for industry comment for the next 60 days related to a pretty aggressive uh, expansion of goals on minority housing in terms of units purchased by Fannie and Freddie, Um, also low income and very low income census tracts and Uh, you know it's been almost every week something new we had the news on the being able to use rental payment the week before Um, just a a day or so ago we got news that uh, uh, down payment assistance is part of the infrastructure package so and it feels to me you as a fellow clevelander we know marsha fudge has been a fierce politician here uh, in northeast ohio for a long time very fierce uh advocate for her constituents, her constituents now being housing in America and just read through the news of like her being out in the infrastructure kind of roadshow. She's speaking about two things and two things primarily. Uh, One is protections for renters and mortgage holders affected by the pandemic. But the second is just people in need of affordable housing. And it feels like her fingerprints, even though she's the HUD secretary and this is an FHFA announcement. Are all over this. So your thoughts on the latest from FHFA on expansion of housing goals.
1: So I kind of feel like this is old news um, being that we knew, you know, Biden was stating when he was campaigning that he would um, try to increase affordable housing for minorities. So we've been talking about it. I think we're just starting to see this structure and what the future may look like for affordable housing. You know, the, Objective is to create equitable, affordable housing that reaches low and moderate income families, minority communities, rural areas, and under and other other sort of populations. And I thought that it was interesting. And I actually have to read what the objective is um, because I think it's going to put some more pressure on us as lenders to know who we should be lending to. And it says that they tell us specifically that they are going after the minority census track, which is the income below the area medium income and the property is in a census track where the medium income is below the AMI and minorities make up 30% of the population. So I think we really need to get direction on what those specific areas are. I think that with the combination of FHFA and HUD uh, joining forces for enforcement, that we're going to have to market to those areas. you know the benchmark for FHFA is to increase what is considered the minority census tract in 2018 to 21 they were to hit 24% of that group and now they're go- that's going to be increased to 28%. And what's interesting in all of that is what was one of our first conversations in trending today when um, FHFA came out with the PSPA layered risk directive, that only 6% of purchases and 3% of refinance transactions sold to the agencies could hit two of three of the risk factors, which was exceeding 90% LTV, the back-end DTI of greater than 45% in FICO scores, lower than 680. So, you know, what percentage of the target segment? Uh, Are they trying to reach when because most of them will hit two of the three risk factors and of September as of September the 18th the average median score that will be used on DU for qualifying purposes is the average of the two medians to get more borrowers over that 620 threshold but that will add to the number of borrowers who have the that layer of credit risk so um, I think we knew where the administration would be going. Um, however, we still are getting mixed signals as lenders as to what direction we're going to go. I don't know about everyone else, but we're not promoting the refi now and the refi possible that's coming out this week because we had reached out to both Fannie and Freddie and they said, you're still within those constraints and many of those loans fall within those parameters of layered risk. So it's a, it's a juggling act and it, it seems a bit confusing uh, in lending.
0: I mean, think about it. Just a, a few months ago, leaders like yourself uh, were reacting to implementations from the PSPA amended related to uh, non-owner occupied properties. All the tea leaves were pointing with the pending Supreme Court case in the direction of the two of three rule that you just mentioned being implemented, where if had two of three risk factors, you can only sell a very small percentage of those units to Fannie and Freddie. Now, it it feels like almost certainly we're going in the complete opposite direction, where in order to achieve the housing goals that are being put out there by the Biden administration, all the PSPA amendments would have to be eliminated. And we're going to see expansions to the book of business that Fannie and Freddie are going to buy. And like like you said, your your Fannie and Freddie reps are still still working towards and, and solving for the PSPA amendments because- That's the legal document out there that is formally directing Fannie and Freddie.
1: Yep, for sure. And I think that that's where a lot of the comments need to go is like, all right, like, great. We'll play by the rules, but can we have one set of rules and can the rules not contradict each other? Um, and i think that it, there needs to be clarity around that i now with the investment properties in the um in second homes you know i understand why those rules were put in place and i don't think that any of the new um, commentary from fhfa is is contradicting that but i do think that the with affordable housing and lower income borrowers that we very much are contradicting it you talked about the rental payment history um you being a positive only factor to help qualify borrowers, like that's like the first common sense thing I feel like we have heard in a long time. Uh, When I came into the mortgage industry more than two decades ago, we used uh, positive rent if, if the borrower could document their rental history and they were paying on time, that was a compensating factor we'd use. We use that today when we look at government loans that have layered risk and using that as a compensating factor to overcome that risk in our government loans. And it's like, okay, so Fannie Mae is, is catching up on that one. So I think that that part is positive. And when you look at home buyers who, where or renters who their largest expense that they have is their housing expense. Um, That's a huge portion that isn't taken into consideration today and can be a huge determining factor in that borrower's ability to repay or even having the willingness uh, to repay their mortgage debt.
0: And as you mentioned too, it's lenders are going to have to get a lot smarter about knowing the demographics uh, of the markets that they lend and where their loans are coming from, what the mix of their closed loans and pipeline looks like. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that and there's a lot of new data providers in the mortgage and it's a trend we've seen. We, we kind of get approached by all the new vendors that are coming to the industry because, you know, they view our network as a way to kind of get going. There's been a lot of data providers in general. I'm sure you've been getting those same calls as well.
1: Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Calls, emails, LinkedIn messages. Everybody's selling something.
0: (laughs) Right. They are. But I remember like working for banks and some of our bank members that I see in the audience can attest like, you know, and and being um, held to CRA responsibilities and fair lending audits. Um, you know, getting big printouts of like census track maps and understanding where our physical branch locations were and our obligation to lend. Uh, Somebody made a good point. One of the newsletters uh, that I read this week, though, but, you know, it, it seems to be trending towards like independent mortgage bankers having to comply, if not with CRA, but with the same fair lending audit requirements that depositories have to, but uh, the author, and I can't remember if it was Chrisman or somebody else made a great point. Like the reason that banks have to comply with that is because they get access to FDI insurance in deposits that they take in, in those communities. And the whole premise behind CRA is listen, if FDIC is insuring your deposits in the communities where you have branches, you have an obligation to lend money uh, through loans in those locations, but it's a different ball of wax for independent mortgage bankers. They don't have that, that luxury.
1: Yeah, the other issue is, is, you know, we have, we're kind of, it's based on the branches that we can recruit. I come from one of the most rural areas in Ohio where I grew up. And I can tell you, if we don't have a physical location in those communities. People aren't willing to do business with you. They want to do business with people that are local. Um, and it is, we're going to be hampered by that. You know, we can do marketing, you know, for, you know, through consumer direct channels to have someone who covers those areas, but it's not going to have the same impact in different areas as having that physical location and having those smaller credit unions and banks that are in rural com- communities specifically.
0: Yeah. And, you know, go, going back to Marsha Fudge as HUD secretary, a very effective um, and serious politician. And, uh, you know, one of the first headlines to bro- break, you know, these last few weeks just regarding changes, um, you mentioned it earlier, was an alignment between HUD and FHFA for more strict enforcement of Fannie and Freddie to hit their housing goals. So, but you know, to your point, everything is so much more remote now, right? It's nationwide mortgage bankers based out of New York. You are hiring people all over America now. You know, I worked for a bank in Cleveland. I was hiring people only within an hour of physical locations we had. So it was easier to hold in that old world lenders responsible for making loans that looked like the demographics of where their brick and mortar was. But now with everything so spread out, will lenders be held to one general standard regardless of where you are? Will there still be regional aspects to it? So hard to understand how they're going to enforce lenders obligations to make loans to uh, different demographics and different borrower types.
1: Exactly. And, you know, we're 50, 55% New York and New Jersey and high income areas. And it's going to be very difficult for for us when your average loan size is Near four hundred thousand to try to break into markets that you aren't currently in. To so it'll be interesting. Um, You know, they'll give us like what an overnight to figure it out.
0: (laughs) There has been there has not been a lot of yeah uh, foreshadowing (laughs) or uh, advance notice on some of the changes dealt to the mortgage industry as of late, and um, it'd be interesting to see how they handle. All the change is sure to be coming going forward here. So this is the last week in mortgage today. I'm Rich Swarbrinsky with the Mortgage Collaborative this week, joined by Nationwide Mortgage Bankers, President Jody Hall. Jody, uh, moving our attention to a different topic. Um, PMI, taking even more business from FHA in Q2, uh, most certainly due to just tighter GUVI guidelines during the pandemic. You're seeing the same nationwide? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's partly due to government guidelines. I think it's also um, due to the FHA bidders losing out when they're bidding on properties because it's seen as a negative when you have to check on the purchase contract that you're doing a government loan, VA almost getting zero attention. Um, So I think part of it is that, you know, Our FHA bidders um, in the housing market are losing out to conventional home buyers. I also think that the, you know, with the increase in FICO scores in general, so the average FICO score um, for FHA is a 675 and 750 for a conventional. And the average LTV also for FHA is 95% and it's in the high 80s for conventional. So I think that, you know, it's just more targeted to the conventional base. Credit credit scores have continued to rise in the pandemic. Um, When the economy struggles, FICO scores rise. And, you know, the 2020 average FICO was 703 by October. It was 711. That was experienced FICO data. So more borrowers are qualifying for conventional loans. And we're seeing that at NMB. Um, last year, uh, 71% of our loans were conventional loans, which is, was historically high for us. Um, we, we, did, um, we did 4,413 conventional loans and then this year to date, we're 75% conventional. have already done almost 4,000 conventional loans for the year. So we're increasing market share, but we're also in, um, have an increase in a number of conventional uh, home buyers as well.
0: And the data we're seeing through TMC Benchmark broadly across the network uh, seems to indicate the same. Seems like a good time to be a mortgage insurance company now, uh, with just credit quality up. Uh, yeah. And you know a bigger share of business and homes appreciating—that is the ultimate, uh, you know, good thing for the PMI company. So, um, another interesting news story uh, that broke this week uh, related to just inventory in general and existing home sales. I think we're finally now starting to see a shift. The last time you hosted co-hosted this show and just been talking about it on this show all spring—the exploding home values, the lack of inventory. Uh, starting to see a reversal of that now, National Association of Realtors put out a report this week, inventories, total inventories in July, up 7.3% over June, not an insignificant increase, uh, and up 28% over the lows that we saw in the winter, still down 12% year over year from last July, but uh, more homes clearly on the market. The average home listing price fell for the first time in a long time from 363000 to 359000 And then we also got existing home sale data. Existing home sales had dropped like four or five months in a row, like into the heart of spring and summer. We never see that in this industry. Right. Um, and finally, a reversal. In July, 6 million existing home sales, uh, badly beating estimates for the positive. So feels like a little shift in the housing market, more homes on the market, listing prices starting to come down. All those sideline borrowers starting to sneak off the sidelines. No,
1: yeah, depends a little. <laughs> so the you know the housing inventory we see um, uh, for higher priced homes, we see that the you know prices are easing. But in those low tiers for affordable housing. Um, It's still extremely competitive. So kind of depends on where your demographic is, um, what you are seeing. You know, it all comes down to supply and demand. Um, We saw in 2020, there were 2.38 million first-time homebuyers. That was the greatest number of first-time homebuyers since 1999. So we really are seeing, you know, more demand um, than there is supply and you know that leads into lack of new builds because of um, constraints in, in the supply chain. It also another topic we want to talk about is you know existing home buyers feeling stuck um, in the in the places that they are. So it is good news. Uh, there's still a lot of homes out there um, for sale, like six hundred and some million do- or million homes that are on the market. I'm sorry. The 1.32 homes are still in the market. Like there are houses, but it's where do where do you go? What do you do? And I think that's largely limited to because home buyers are just like, hold on. If you're already in an existing home, like I would love to take advantage of the price of homes today and sell my home because I plan on selling in the next 24 months. But if I sell my home, where am I going to go?
0: and good point you brought up i think with digital risk put out a survey uh, results of a survey this week 53 percent of existing home buyers feel stuck in their home because they can't afford the next home up so mm-hmm. to your point a lot of people that would love to take advantage of home values now and sell their home but you got to go somewhere right yeah. and uh you know typically when people sell a house and buy a new one it's something nicer or better you know yeah. in most cases. And uh though, but to your point from earlier, though that's where we're seeing the you know, the home prices that have really shot up and there still is a dearth of affordable homes in America despite the improved inventory numbers.
1: I think it's where the inventory is available to Um, you know, we see that home buyer now that there is so much remote work where individuals can move out of um, high rent areas. Um or high housing prices areas to lower the inventory isn't there in the lower markets because it has been, everybody has been making that move now since the beginning of the pandemic uh, to more suburban and rural areas. Uh, So I think that affordable housing is what is lacking. Um, We do see the higher, the high, you know, above a million dollar, there's a huge amount of inventory, but most people um, can't afford that. And people who are in existing homes, they really feel like their house, their house rich and cash poor. And, you know, they, uh, they're still uncertainty with, you know, I'm not incre- you know, my increase in pay is not happening at the same rate as home prices. Um, if I move into a larger home, what are my maintenance costs going to be? Can I get maintenance done? <laughs> because we hear the, you know, miserable um, stories of dealing with contractors in this day and age or even having, you know, if I was talking to um a friend of mine here locally, and they had a garage door that was damaged in the beginning of the pandemic last year, and they haven't been able to get a garage door. So I think that there's a lot of like, all right, I may have a lot of equity in my home, I may want to move, but I need to wait and ensure that I have a job, that I'm going to get increased compensation, and that hopefully I'll be able to buy a step up into a house 12 months, 18 months from now um, without having increased inflated housing prices due to the shortage in the market.
0: And that's another, I think, factor that is somewhat impacting the purchase market a little bit right now. It's just a lot of movement. We were kind of talking about it before we went live. Uh, I've seen just so many just surveys and reports. One of them I read yesterday was, 65% 65% of Americans like are considering a job besides the one they have. That is a astronomical number to me, um, you know, and it has to be starting to permeate. I mean, our industry can't be insulated from that. Right. And you're starting to see more movement. and
1: Definitely. Some people that I talked to a couple of years ago um, about making a move like, people that I forgot that I talked to two years ago are starting to reach out. And there's a lot of people that are, are looking to make moves. Um, We had a a couple moves within our organization that um, were unforeseen and I hope it's not, you know, indicative of of what is to come. You know, you feel pretty secure um, with the data that we've gotten from, you know, top workplaces, but, but people are talking, that's for sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was like you know the pandemic hit and just a flurry of like, oh my god, I'm happy to have a job and I I'm, working from home is great. And then you know now it's like god, people have had a lot of time to be at home in their home office where it's you know I think companies have done a better job not just in our industry but broadly, but marketing and you know recruiting people uh, digitally and through you know different social media platforms and job sites. So uh, you know by all indications, we are just going to see a historic amount of job movement you know forget the mortgage industry just broadly in america and to your point people can move kind of anywhere i had keith canner our friend from first community mortgage was co-hosting this show last week they're based just outside of nashville you said the the explosion of people that they're getting moving to the tennessee area from like california and the coasts is like you know it started in nashville it's just like building out like outward because Tennessee has some favorable tax policies. The weather's pretty good. There's some fun places there. It's you're seeing just the shift of people from employer to employer and then also location wise across the country.
1: Yeah. It's uh, it's going to be another interesting uh, 12 to 18 months. I would say Um, maybe we'll get next summer. Hopefully we'll be talking about beginning of next summer, you know, some, Commonality, consistency, you know, going from needing to hire the greatest number of people because of production, and hopefully it's not that we need to hire the greatest number of people because of the, what are they calling this year, the great resignation
0: right the great yeah the great <laughs> resignation so yeah it should be interesting you know all the while while technology is continues to emerge in the mortgage industry that's just going to change not eliminate the human factor but certainly lessen it to some degree especially in the you know the mortgage loan manufacturing process uh and you know it's just going to be very fascinating to see how that all kind of comes together never a dull moment in the mortgage industry
1: <laughs> for sure <laughs>
0: um another interesting note this week private label securities a uh, big jump up in the second quarter um, you know these are non fannie and freddie conventional loan bonds but uh you know financial institutions that are creating private label securities essentially to package and bundle securities of loans and then sell out in the open market things like you know um, unconventional income sources and DTIs that make the loans non-QM, but they're still good loans. And I think it was only 4% of total securities issued in Q2, but a big jump up. And I, you know, I think that again, speaks to overall good credit quality, um, a tighter credit box for the agencies, at least right now. Um, and then, you know, like anytime you have opportunity, people find a way to, exploited. And I think you're starting to see a little bit of that in the PLS market right now.
1: Yeah, I definitely think it also increase in home prices, you know, and I feel like there was some uncertainty, wondering what was going to happen if there was going if the bubble was going to burst again. And I think that people see that with the tighter uh, restrictions on conventional lending that we're likely to continue to see the increase in home prices, just not at the same uh, speed as it has been over the last year. I also think with historically low interest rates, there is value to be had, so there's less risk of the the prepayment and. We talked about this too when we first heard about the PSPA and how uh, the limiting of the investment in second homes. And we were wondering if they were going to be more private investors that were coming into the market to purchase those. They're really good loans, right? You have borrowers who have the history of owning investment properties for many years and multiple investment properties. There's good loans to be had and to, to be made. And the same in the non-QM space where we saw the, a lot of the non-QM investors pulling out at the pandemic, starting to make the move back into. And I think it's just an open, you know, more open, more loans um, to be had and and less risk uh, is making people feel really comfortable and enter more into that private labeled securities uh, arena.
0: This is the last week in mortgage today. I'm Richard Swarovinsky with the mortgage collaborative and have a couple minutes left with nationwide mortgage bankers, president Jody Hall. Uh, Jody, you mentioned just supply lines in general for the mortgage industry. It's it's hard to, it, it feels like, you know, the fact that the, the, housing in America has been underbuilt for, depending on who you talk to, between five and 10 years. And then we've had just this kind of crazy pause right now. Any home builder stats or surveys, you know, just indicate that, uh, you know, due to supply line shortages and um, buyers not willing to pay the you know astronomical prices to build a home this last year and a half, further slowdowns. And you talked about just the dearth of affordable housing in general in America, forget total supply and total inventory, which is getting better, but is still way low on the affordable side. Builders aren't building 100, $150,000, $200,000 houses. How is this gonna play out? it's a very open-ended and brutally tough question, but I just, I worry and wonder about that in general as we move forward.
1: You know, I don't see in unless you know some of the um, proposed stimulus package for infrastructure is going to builders who build in the in the lower. I don't see it changing. You know, if you're not going to build, uh, you're not going to build ten $1, hundred thousand dollar homes. You're going to build a million dollar house um, because you're going to need. You can't find a contractor. Um, I have was on. Uh, with a builder to start building in February of next year and his framer, it was a, you know, independent builder, his framing contractor left and his um, his plumber left him. So what are you going to do? Like you can't, the, the time and resources it takes to build 10, ten houses versus one unless there is some Ooh. financial reward um, for building more affordable housing, I don't see how I don't see what the what the end game is um, unless it, it is that you know people feel more comfortable about what's going on and they want to move up. so existing home buyers start buying new homes. Um, because they feel more secure in their jobs and in the income that they have um, outside of that. And can um, most people who are at a position to afford a a more expensive home are the empty nesters who are looking to downsize the home that they're currently in. So they don't want a million dollar house either. Um, So it it seems like it's just it's revolving. And I didn't see anything in the um, $3.2 trillion um housing proposal that, or infrastructure infrastructure proposal that was going to help or incentivize builders to build affordable housing.
0: Yeah, I mean it feels like it's going to take government intervention to fix the problem at some point. And you know you could expand the credit guidelines for uh, low-income and affordable housing candidates. You can expand Fannie and Freddie's goals and the enforcement of how many units they have to purchase that are affordable housing units. But if you don't have the units, <laughs> then at the end of the day, uh, it's going to be tough, but it's the most complex of all those. And, you know, and it kind of feels like maybe that's where the Biden administration and Marshall Fudge is is going to be going next, um, you know, once they, they knock some of these other dominoes down. So for sure. Excellent. Well, Jody, as always, uh, appreciate uh, you joining me this week again and uh, always enjoy the conversation and uh, go Browns.
1: For sure. And before we leave, I need to put two plugs out there. So our last week in mortgages, we found out the Inc. 5000, we were named the third year in a row fastest growing mortgage company across the United States. And the number six Fortune Best Small and Medium Workplace, which is fueled by the great places to work data. Um, so that was our uh, last week of mortgages. Very exciting. And also August the 28th, 1230 on Fox Business News, Nationwide Mortgage Bankers will be aired as the feature story on Trending Today. Oh, um, no
0: way. That is super cool. And so
1: please, everyone, uh, tune in and appreciate your support.
0: That is awesome. Congratulations. And yeah, you guys have done some really great things, especially these last couple of years. and. And MB was a TMC member like way back in the day. I was kind of a disengaged member. And, and you called me one day and said you were uh, pursuing an opportunity with them. And uh, it's been really, really cool a couple of years watching all the great things that have happened there. So
1: it's been a fun ride. And I appreciate TMC's support. And I'll see you all um, in 25 days.
0: 25 days, Taryn and Jody will be leading a few different sessions for us out there, including one we're doing on Sunday afternoon, really focused on the current state of the mortgage industry, her, Rob Crisman, uh, Kirk Willison from Arch, Sarah Gonzalez from FGMC, uh, really dynamite panel of people, kind of to really get conference kicked off Sunday afternoon, a very interactive roundtable discussion of our members on just the insane last 18 months uh, that the mortgage industry has gone through and what could be looming around the corner, uh, as we move into the latter part of 2021 and into 2022. So, um, and as always for our attendees, thanks for sp- spending 30 minutes of your time with us on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, we are here every Tuesday at 2 PM Eastern for the last week in mortgage today. And until next week at that time, have a great rest of the week, everyone. And Jody, thanks again. Take care. Have a great day after, everyone.